0: Are packed are you ready to go this time tomorrow? We'll be on the road riding with you in the sunnier days. I wouldn't want it any other way. Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and seventy-three of the Corin Ninja Podcast. I'm your host. Corinne Nidja. In this episode, we're going to be talking about ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity, disorder. I wanted to do this episode because it has touched my life and my family's life. And I know many, many people whose lives this diagnosis touches. And I think it's a really important topic because. The more awareness that gets raised about neurological challenges, non neurotypical individuals, the more different ways of thinking and being are normalized and understood and accepted as part of a rich tapestry that is human humanity, that is being and existing in a, in a human body on this earth. And most of my life, honestly, I thought that ADHD was, was, and I think the media and society as a whole were kind of like, this is just a diagnosis for kids. And I'm sure I even said it myself when I was probably 19, 20, and you're just regurgitating what you're reading in the media, that it's just a diagnosis for kids of bad parents That it's bad parenting that raises these kids that misbehave and don't listen and are climbing the walls and don't concentrate and are distracted at school and all of those types of things. Like I definitely bought into that. This is not a real thing and it's just a pretend thing. And when I'm with my life and I never thought about it again, really. I worked with people with ADHD a lot and autism back when I used to work as a personal care support worker and work in residential care and those types of places. I worked with a lot of kids and adults with ADHD and they had other diagnoses, autism or OCD, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, etc. And I'm still learning the language myself. So forgive me if I'm, I'm I can get tangled because there is just a lot to learn. It's ongoing and shifting and changing and I'm learning along with you. I guess one of the things I wanted to say straight out the gate is that labels. I think that labels are a kind of a double-edged sword in a way. Maybe not. Maybe that's not the right metaphor, but labels can can really limit us as individuals. And in my training as 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 an NLP coach and practitioner, we talk about those labels and how like language is so important. And when you Put yourself at the effect of a label. You have ADHD, you have this thing, you have multiple sclerosis in my case as well. You know, you're limited to what your possibilities are. You're at the effect of it and you're like a, like a victim to this label. And, and that can be disempowering for sure. And I do think that that is accurate for many for many of us. And when I got multiple sclerosis, was diagnosed with that in 2004, I could feel that that term, that label, could, could go either way. I could be completely give my power over to it and say, I'm just going to be a victim of this disease. It's going to take everything from me. Like they say, like they've been saying to me, I'm going to be powerless to this. Or I could say, look, you know what, I'm going to just try and, block that term out of my mind and look at the pieces of MS as set, all different pieces, you know, what it does to the body, what it's doing regarding inflammation and what it's doing to my immune system, what it, what the challenges are of MS, you know, what what's happening with the food I'm eating, what am I in control of? What can I be in control of when it comes to this disease? I can be in control of what I put into my body regarding food. I can be in control of finding exercise that helps to calm me down and help me to be fit and strong. I can also meditate. I can do the things that calm my nervous system down. I can be in control of that. I can get into spiritual practices that can help me to you know avoid relapses and i did do that and i'd have to say that holding on joining all the ms groups and doing all those things weren't they put me in a victim mindset and that wasn't empowering for me personally and this is ultimately a bit of a personal journey because your model of the world's different to my model of the world. Your reality, the path that you've walked with your parents and your education and your siblings and your relationships and all those things have made you who you are, where you are in the world, your culture, all those pieces have created your beliefs. So they'll no doubt be different and you'll work differently and things will work differently for you than for me. So I'm sharing my experiences. And you have to take the gold that resonates with you and let the other things that don't resonate with you go. And that's, as a society, what we need to do more of. When we hear opposing opinions or differing opinions, taking what's what's true for us and then letting the things that perhaps aren't true for us, don't feel true for us and for our model of the world, letting those things go without feeling like we need to attack or fight back or point out the errors in the other person because it just creates this yucky, violent culture online that isn't pleasant for anyone. It's not pleasant for the person pointing it out. It's not pleasant for the person receiving this vitriol online. So I'm just mentioning that. So I am going to be saying things that are true for me, but they may not be true for you. So in NLP, they believe, so neuro-linguistic programming, they think that, you know, those labels are quite damaging and and I I agree in so far as what I've just mentioned for me they do make me feel powerless and like a victim to my circumstances however last year during the pandemic I had lots of time to think I had lots of time to think and muse over my life and my behaviors and my challenges because My jobs were taken away. I was locked inside with my kids. And I stumbled across, I was sitting, talking to a friend of mine, and I stumbled across Dr. Gabor Mate's book, Scattered Minds. We just were on a little journey talking about food addiction. And I was trying to find his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, to show her and send her the link so she could purchase it. And while I was doing that, because I love both, I love his writing and his work, um, I found his book, Scattered Minds. And I just wanted, I read the blurb of the book. Something about the name, the name resonated with me instantly. And I read the blurb and I went, oh my gosh, this book's about me. And I guess I should backtrack that a friend of mine's husband was diagnosed with adult ADHD a couple of years ago. And she was studying psychology at uni. And he was talking about his diagnosis and what made him led him to receive the diagnosis. When he was talking, I was having lots of, oh, uh aha moments where I was thinking, oh my gosh, you could be talking about my life in what you're saying. I didn't want to have the diagnosis because I was thinking it's dexamphetamines, it's you know speed and I'm a non-drug taking vegan, (laughs) whole food plant-based person. So I'm not going to bother with it anyway, even though I was thinking, geez, he's talking about me. And when I said to him and his wife at the time, oh, you're talking about me. And she said, yeah, because she knows me very well. And she said, yeah, I did think that you might also have ADHD. And it was a little, and I went home and I did an online quiz, an online test for it for myself and I aced it, and I haven't ever done that well at testing before. I'm not a test kind of person. I'm more of an essay writer because it suits my rambling stream of consciousness way of living. But I nailed that test, and it said, you know, you're very high ADHD result. But I just left it and kind of looked at it every now and again and thought, oh, I wonder what else. But I listened to that book by Gabor Marte, and it was just – it was like – listening to my diary. It was so accurate to describing the challenges I'd faced in my life. And it had been something that over the years people had brought up with me, that I don't concentrate well, that I, you know, I couldn't balance a cash register, that I was, you know, my maths, I would just zone out in maths, but then I'd be hyper-focused in certain areas like English and poetry and Shakespeare and art or, In singing or whatever it was, I'd be hyper focused. Certain classes, certain subjects, forensic science, I'd be hyper focused and I would get like straight A's in like these niche areas of academia. But then I'd be such a challenged, chatty, distracted pain for teachers in any area that that I didn't value or see intrinsic value in. I was very distractible, very chatty. I, I really struggled at, at school and I always heard over and over again, Corinne like would be so, Corinne could do so well if she only applied herself. And I heard that so many times and it was very damaging on my self-esteem because I was doing the best that I could. That was as good as I could do. I wanted to do well I just couldn't concentrate I couldn't hear the teachers the other kids in class I could see them that they could they could take in the information and just do the task and I would feel so much shame that I would listen to her speak and it would just not go into my mind it wouldn't I couldn't grasp hold of it especially if it was complex, if it was complex, if it was simple tasks, then I could do it. But if, it, if there was a process, like a really obvious process with really obvious clear steps, then I could do it. But if it was convoluted or, or they had, the teacher was someone who just kind of blurted it all out and it was overwhelming in my mind. So I missed a lot and I felt dumb. And when I, once I felt dumb, then it made it even harder because the walls would go up where I would just think, okay, well, I can't do this. And that strong, when you have ADHD, that like, I want to do it well. If I can't do it, then your brain kind of just goes into white noise. And that was life for me. And jobs and things were very, very challenging, maintaining paperwork or doing notes or doing admin stuff, I found it very hard. Um, Issues with like deadlines, meeting those deadlines, time management with essays and homework. It was all a challenge, even when I was trying very, very hard. And your confidence erodes over time when you're trying really hard and you're trying harder than your peers, but they're getting better results than you. And it's happening over and over again. They seem like they're doing it the night before and they've never even looked at the thing and you've been working on it for weeks and you're desperately trying to make sense of this problem or this essay or this assignment and, or study for this test and you can't get the information to stay, to go into your head and you, you can't remember it, you can't organise it properly, you can't do it in the appropriate time frame, a whole heap of things. And your mind, well, my mind and many people's mind with ADHD was racing. I, you know, the insomnia. I, I started getting insomnia when I was a little tiny girl because my mind would be racing. And my mum would say, Corinne, just turn your brain off and go to sleep. And I would think, I cannot turn it off. I can't turn it off. And I would be awake and awake as a child as an adolescent as a adult awake and not sleeping and then you know that also impacts for things like autoimmune diseases you know it's a chicken and egg scenario where i wonder if you know years of stress and insomnia along with a terrible terrible diet also factored in this the sleep the deprivation the sleep deprivation also would have factored in to possibly my body malfunctioning in the way that it did with fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, all of those things, because sleep is just so important. Um, And we've spoken about that on the show multiple times, and it is still an area where I really struggle. I really struggle with getting enough sleep, with night waking, with falling asleep early and staying asleep or getting enough sleep. So last year, I... Was doing all this reading and this research, and I redid the test. I hyperfocus. As part of ADHD is this ability to hyperfocus. That's why this podcast is here. It's a gift for many people. Many people, you know, Richard Branson, Jim Carrey, lots of really successful people have ADHD. It's not uncommon for entrepreneurs, for people who are very, very driven and they can block out everything else and focus on one specific task, which is what makes them very successful often, if they have the right support, the right resources, those kinds of things, they can be they can really excel in many areas, the areas that they're focused on. But relationships, every day-to-day life, organization, executive functioning. Self-care addictions, they're all challenges for people with ADHD. And, and last year I'd hyperfocus and I'd read a lot. And I thought, you know what? Even though I don't like labels for many reasons, I would like to get a formal diagnosis. Because I think that having the formal diagnosis for me as a person, for my personality, then allows me to go, okay, what are all the best, very best pieces of tool what are the best tools that I can use to solve these problems and a beautiful friend of mine Ryan actually he has ADHD and he describes it as a cluster like there's so many gifts in it and noticing the gifts has been really helpful to me Because before I was very much focusing on the self-talk, the negative self-talk of all the ways that it was impacting on my life, all the ways that I felt stupid and broken and hopeless. You know, this podcast, many people who are neurotypical, when they make a podcast, they have like a standardised email that they send out to people to book them for the show. Then they have, you know, other emails that they have to thank them for coming on the show. Um, They have cards that they send to their guests. They're really organised with organising the bookings of the episodes. They book months and months and months in advance. They're very, very, very ordered and... And they nail it. They nail getting the podcast out to people. For me, they're my absolute weaknesses. Responding to emails, organisation, those things have been such a chore. And I'm telling you that, to be, even though that's mortifyingly embarrassing to me, because knowing that I had ADHD made me feel less shame around stuffing up time zones with guests on the show, mucking up communication or not having a podcast episode <laughs> already recorded for the following week being always going week to week and it always being this last minute thing. So I'm focused and committed to the podcast, but all these little pieces make it very, very challenging for me. And that damages your self-esteem. So when I got, that's just an example, it's one example of many, many, many ways it affects, has affected my life, including my money, money management, my time blindness. So I would just Go off and do a thing, and then think the thing's going to take 10 minutes, but it ends up taking two hours. But having no concept because I'm just focused on the task I'm doing or the conversation I'm in or whatever's happening, and then I've blown out two hours of the day. And that's the same in my work because I love my work so much. So I'll end up working over with clients and then I'm going into their day and I'm just completely blind and absorbed in my client and what's going on for them that I end up blowing out my appointments by an hour, which is way too long. And so they're all strategies that I'm openly talking about here, even though they have caused me a lot of shame, real shame and made me feel hopeless at times. I'm talking about them because I think that there are people who are listening who are going, oh gosh, I do that too. And there are, there are many, many, many. It might not be you listening. You might think, geez, Corinne, you're hopeless. You should be organised. You're a 41-year-old mother and I respected and admired you until right at this moment when you're admitting you're a flawed being. I hope that you knew that I was a flawed being before now. I am a multi-dimensional being. that are capable of all kinds of behaviours. This is just one of them. I do great things as well that I just want you to know that these are some of the things that I've struggled with. So when I went to my doctor, my psychiatrist, um, last year and said these are all my problems and I did the, test, the testing with him, it, for me it wasn't, I didn't feel like the label, when he said, yes, you do have ADHD, I actually didn't feel like the label disempowered me and robbed me of my hope or possibility of a positive future. I actually felt such a deep sense of relief Even with the MS as well, I felt a deep sense of relief and it put me on the path to looking for answers and ways to help myself and strategies and support systems and tools. I felt relief and I felt like, okay, well, I can do something with this. Before I couldn't do anything with that feeling of hopelessness that I had. I couldn't do anything with this feeling of you're just broken. I couldn't do anything with this feeling of, why are you so disorganised and blah, blah, chaotic? And why do you blurt out everything thought that comes into your head? Why do you talk so much? Why are you such a blah, listener? Why are you this, 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 and this? I couldn't do anything with all of that shame. But I could do something with this diagnosis which made all those pieces make sense finally. All the pieces of myself that I'd hated suddenly made sense even my compulsive eating made more sense because I'm chasing dopamine hits. You know, I'm chasing constant dopamine hits and rewards for my pleasure center. You know, I'm chasing. That's part of ADHD. And that doesn't take take all of it. It doesn't erase that foods are addictive. It doesn't erase that our body's biology wires us to seek out high-calorie foods. That's a massive part of it too. But when you have ADHD, you're seeking even just the hyperactivity of it is the chewing and the getting up and down to the pantry because you're distracted and it's an easy distraction to go and get food. It's part of the ADHD. It's the pleasure that it gives you, gives you that hit, that high, that feeling of like, ah, releases that feel-good hormone that you're chasing when you're a person with ADHD. But the thing that I needed the most, which I was from my psychiatrist in that diagnosis, well, not not the most, but really I needed to hear was when he was saying to me, because I'd always thought that I was stupid for most of my life because life and schooling and everything was so hard and I wanted to prove to myself that I was smart my whole life because I just felt like the teachers and everyone had reinforced this belief in me and my family that I was just this over-talky, chatterbox, distractible dummy and I really believed that to the, my my bones. And it wasn't until I really, it wasn't really until I had the diagnosis and he, the doctor said to me, now I'm not gloating here. It might sound like I'm gloating, but I, I went to uni. I've been to uni because I've been trying to basically find a, I like I like studying and learning. I like, that's a part of how ADHD presents for me. And for many people, I really love learning. I really love information. I really love New ideas and those kinds of things, and following a new idea and learning as much about it as possible. So, uni was always a thing I wanted to do. I was always excited by it, even though I struggled with it so hard. I loved the lectures, the assignments I couldn't bear, and it was such a challenge to get the deadlines and to organize essays, and all of those things were really, really challenging. But the lectures and the tutorials, I I absolutely loved, and I would still go to them all day every day I'm like, never I'm never not going to be doing short courses or courses or things because they just they're my they're my favorite things. I love new ideas and information, so I went to uni mostly because I had multiple sclerosis, really because I wanted a job I went the first degree I got was an arts degree in English and linguistics. I did the arts degree because I didn't have good enough scores to get into psychology. So I knew I had to get good enough scores in the arts degree to move me into psychology, which I was really interested in. And so I did the arts degree and I thought I'm going to do it on subjects that I, re- subjects that I really love, which were as English and linguistics and anthropology because I loved them. And I knew that my hyperfocus would make me do well at that. I didn't know it was called hyperfocus at the time, but I knew that I could do well at them because I loved them. And I did. Now, psychology didn't work for me because my brain just could not get the statistics and the numbers. I got completely overwhelmed. So I ended up going and getting into psychology and then realising after six months that it just was a nightmare for the way I learn. That degree was just not suitable for me at the time, at least. Um, So I went into a social work degree, which didn't have as much maths and statistics. And I just... Loved social work, and I was looking for a job that I could make money in to support myself with multiple sclerosis. With whatever area of dis- level of disability that I ended up in, I knew I could get a desk job because I couldn't do hospitality in a wheelchair. You know, it was harder to do, you know, like laborious physical work. Um, retail, because my my feet just couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand up for those hours. Whenever I tried, I just knew I needed to have a sit down job. So I did social work. I went into that field and then I found challenges in that field, not only because it was very dark and heavy working in child protection, but the paperwork, the lot of the the deadlines, the KPIs, all of those things, I found them so challenging for my, the way my brain works. I just found them a huge struggle. Alongside, there's so much bureaucracy and red tape and things in child protection, so you're constantly writing reports and things, I found that all very, very hard. Alongside that the work was really sad and upsetting every single day So I did that work for a little while and then I moved into teaching because I thought, well, teaching's yet to sit down a bit, but it's I can do English and linguistics, which is great, and teach people ESL, so English as a second language, and the kids will have troubles, but not all of them and not all the time, so I'll get to do a bit of the social worky side. But that's how I ended up doing all those three degrees, and they were all really challenging to do. And part of me now looks back and think probably I did three degrees because I wanted to prove to myself and other people that I wasn't dumb, you know, that I could do it. And it was, I feel like mostly to me, I wanted to prove to myself that you can get a degree and you're smart enough because I really didn't believe that. And each degree did boost my confidence and take a bit of a layer off that onion of you're hopeless and make me feel a bit more capable. But the psychiatrist... You know, he did say to me, Wow, you're was the first person ever to say this sentence to me, which was obviously you're intelligent, which I never heard before. Girls with ADHD get overlooked because they're intelligent and they're, when they're performing low, they're often performing to everyone else's kind of average. And they so they get missed and overlooked and, and they their ADHD hyperactivity shows up as over-talking, talking too much, and inane laughter, all of those things, nervous laughter, just over-talking and those kinds of things. And so they get missed in schooling and he said, and for you to get three degrees, that would have been really hard for you with ADHD. And even though that doesn't sound like much, but as someone with undiagnosed ADHD for 41 years, those words meant so much to me to have someone validate my experience, to have someone say that would have been really hard because it was really hard. It was really hard. When you're looking at your peers who have gone off and done something else and you just feel like you're kind of constantly flitting from thing to thing and nothing works and everything feels so hard and you say you you think you're going to love this next thing but it comes with this whole cluster of challenges that feel impossible like you're drowning in them so to have him say that would have been really hard when everyone else has been like you know why don't you just focus why don't you just listen why can't you pay attention why can't you, you just do this thing like everyone else and I was just like I don't know why I can't but I can't. So it was a relief. And I guess what I wanted to, so i not going on and on, but since then it's been a thing because you're kind of, there's grief that goes with the diagnosis. You're looking back over your whole life going, oh, my gosh, if someone had known or helped me or built in tools for me or seen knew about ADHD and didn't dismiss it and had put, given me strategies or techniques or things to help me focus, to help me pay attention, to help me organise my information, to help me manage my time, that would have been a game changer. And so you, can't, you grieve for all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that didn't happen. And you do that as well when you get a chronic illness diagnosis. You think, "Oh my gosh, if only I'd known about nutrition. If only I'd... someone had taught me about this." And it, you just have to go through that. You kind of then you get feel sh- ashamed that you're punishing yourself, and it's. I think it's normal to go through some stages of grief. And loss, and just to feel that sadness, and that's natural. And the more we try to shove that grief of grief away and say, "No, it's fine. I've got ADHD, and it's all great. I know what to do now. I'm going to be okay." Like, yeah, you 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 will be. be. There's so many great support services, books, resources, tools, techniques out there for people with ADHD that you will probably be ace, and you're probably already doing ace in at least one or two areas but allow yourself that time to grieve as well for all the times that you've thought that you were hopeless and things have been so hard and you felt completely unsupported because that's a real thing and it's, it's still a real thing because your family, people don't, it's not a common thing and that's why I wanted to record this because it's still a thing that people think isn't a thing. But our brains literally look differently on an MRI. Our brains work differently, scientifically proven, and it's the genetic thing. So often like your kids have it. And so now I'm coming this whole next layer where I'm looking at my kids and going, oh, gosh, you have, you have ADHD too. And, and that's hard because then you're just feeling so sad for your kids and, overwhelmed about how you're going to support them when you're still figuring it out yourself. Being an adult diagnosed, you're having to form a whole new way of seeing the world. You've seen it one way and now you're having to suddenly go, okay, well, this way I was seeing it is a way to see it as a person with undiagnosed ADHD, but now I know I have ADHD and I'm learning about it and I'm learning about these things I can do implementing them and consistently implementing them that's another challenge and knowing that you have to consistently implement them for yourself as well as for your children to best support them it can feel quite overwhelming now I'm sharing it because I know that there are adults out there who are either coming into diagnosis themselves or they've newly diagnosed or they've had it forever it doesn't really it doesn't really matter but it is a real thing. It's not a pretend thing. And it I guess some examples, if you're new to it and you don't know anything about it. There are there's so much information online, but to be supportive and to be like an ally for people with ADHD. And there was ADD and ADHD, but now they're saying that ADD is kind of no longer being diagnosed, it's all ADHD because even if you're not jump bouncing off the walls like people associate with ADHD, often it's the the mind is hyperactive. The mind is hyperactive; it's racing from thought to thought in this big, wild noise that's always going. Which is why people with ADHD find it hard. They have sensory issues where, for me, perfume is strong perfume is too much for me or loud noise when I'm driving is too much for me, loud music's too much for me, big crowds too much for me, being in the city is too much for me. That's why podcast is perfect for me because it's just me, one-on-one. I'm a good one-on-one person. Me in a big group, I cannot, I'm i overstimulated. I can't get my thoughts together and gather my thoughts. And I always felt really like I was didn't fit in because when I was in my 20s, People would say, well, do you want to go clubbing? And I'm like, oh, my God, crowds, noise, loud talking, communication. I can't do it. And I would feel broken because i think, why are all my friends like drinking and going out? And I can't. I like a conversation with one, two people max, three of us. That's <laughs> who I want in my little group. Big luncheons, dinners, parties. I'm not good at. It doesn't work because just, it's just too much in my head already. But ADHD, it makes us impulsive. Our brains are noisy. It affects our relationships. It affects our ability to listen. It affects our time management. It affects our, our focus, our sleep. It affects our choices and decisions. It affects our memory. It's very, very tricky with memory for people with ADHD. They need support to get memory tools our organisation. Following up with things, following through with things is really, really challenging. And becoming overwhelmed when there's too many steps to get the result that you want. There's too many pieces to the puzzle. It just becomes overwhelming. Our brains just shut down. And consistency and fidgeting. There's so many different pieces. And if you want to start somewhere, Scattered Minds is good, although Gabor Mate's work is kind of dated. So he doesn't he puts it all down on trauma as a tr- response to trauma, ADHD. However, science has proven that it is a genetic condition. It's not just trauma. I do think that perhaps like diabetes is genetic, but the diet flicks the switch, whereas I think for ADHD, potentially trauma flicks the switch. For some people, they might have it and not. it might not turn on or might t- might not turn on as severely as it does for other people. That's just me musing on it. That's not science. I'm just, that's just my little thoughts about it. Yeah, Gabor Marté's work doesn't really, doesn't at all talk about their genetic component to ADHD, which is very a very real piece of it. But overall, the, the, that book is really insightful and enlightening if you're someone who thinks you might have ADHD, it's a really good read, it's easy to read and it's super relatable. Or if you think you know someone that might have ADHD, I think that's a really helpful book to to read. But it is ultimately to me, I see it as a cluster of challenges and that's why I wanted to get diagnosed because once I knew then I could look for the best tools and supports to help me overcome the parts that are really hard so that I can really nail the things that I do well and not be constantly tripping over these big hurdles that come with having ADHD as an adult. Now, the medications that come with ADHD are really potent and something that I was very much not keen on, but I did want to try it uh, after two years of avoiding it. I did want to try it because because I, I wanted to see what normal people, normal in inverted commas, felt thought-like, just thought-like. And so I did go on it. Now, I did go on it and the prescription, like it hasn't been a, as linear thing for me. I'm really hypersensitive to even cacao. I can't drink coffee. Green tea is too much for me. So this this medication, stimulant medication is is full on for my sensitive nervous system. So it's it's something that I'm still having like a micro dose. I'm having a micro, micro dose and I'm having many, many days off because I just don't like the feeling of it in my body. I don't feel good with it. However, when I took it the first time, I went and listened to my son's music, which I can't tolerate because it's too much for my 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 senses, it's too overwhelming. He likes this computer game music and I can't cope with it. So I listened to this music. I said to him, I'm going to come. He said, mummy, can you come and dance with me to my song? And I always avoid it. I can't concentrate. I can't listen to it. But I listened to it and I heard it. Like I heard all the little sounds that he thinks are so interesting and exciting and it didn't overwhelm me and my head was clear and i danced with him and i could hear the just the song and not everything that's in my head i could just hear the song like he hears it yeah, i could look at his little face and I, I i realized in that moment that i'd never been able to just be with him there was just always a storm of sound in my head of noise and it was suddenly so quiet and I could just listen to his song and see his face light up and be present with him and oh my gosh it was just incredible it was just incredible and I went to do work in my office that was things I'd normally avoid and hate doing admin work and like writing even the show notes for this podcast is just such a <laughs> such an ordeal for me but on medication I could just sit there and focus and just do it just do it and that may sound to people who are listening who are like that doesn't happen to me I don't know why you're like that I can't I can't help that you can't relate it's just a real thing and if you have ADHD you'll get it but it was just life, like it, it broke my heart because I'd never experienced it in my life until literally last year. I'd never experienced focus like that, clarity. It didn't make me feel like what that medication would do to a regular person. It, it quietened everything and I just felt clear-headed for the first time in my whole life. It's still something that I don't want to be taking long-term because I don't think it's Healthy to take long term, but I'm using it as like a a tool to give me enough focus to implement useful strategies, systems, organizational systems into my life moving forward that will help me to focus more. And I guess one of the other reasons why I went for the diagnosis was because you know I found in the pandemic, when the news was just on constantly, that my phone addiction, and I know that that's not something that is just exclusively for people with ADHD, but I knew that my opening my phone for news, for Facebook, for scrolling was meaning that I wasn't present with my kids in a way that was beyond normal. It had gotten to a point where it was pathological, the amount of Touching my phone, being with my phone, opening and closing my phone, and many other areas of my life where during the pandemic I was very hyper aware that my behavior wasn't optimal for running a business, a podcast, studying, doing all the things, managing my money, all of those kinds of things. So that's kind of, a, I kind of got backed into a corner, which is how us humans tend to love to work is wait until we have no option and then go, okay, someone help me. So all those, there's lots of pieces to why I wanted to get a formal diagnosis. And I do think of it as a series of puzzles that I'm now in the process of finding solutions for. And that was also during my Reiki mastership training and my And undertaking my diploma in NLP and hypnotherapy last year. And I was very glad, blessed in a way, that those two courses of study were happening because I think that they really helped me to feel less broken because I was really doing this deep work with my higher self, my higher consciousness, my soul, and my spirit, and really coming into that place of really loving myself deeply and forgiving myself with the hypnosis and NLP I really knew that the brain is brain is so powerful the unconscious mind is such a powerful thing and I really felt confident that with the right tools I could I'm not saying that I'm going to erase ADHD from my existence but that I can really live a great life without it impacting on me as severely as it was and in fact impacting on me very minutely i'm not quite there yet but i do feel like having those tools in my toolkit because reiki is such a great grounding calming practice that helps you helps you to focus and look inward and look for solutions on what you need so and shining shines light into where you need support, which is really, really useful for someone with ADHD. So Reiki has been such a blessing to have on this journey. And I feel like subconsciously, probably that's part of why I was drawn to it, because I wanted answers, you know, answers. I wanted to be able to connect to myself for those answers. But NLP itself, Neuro Linguistic Programming, in hypnosis. in hypnosis, you can you can plant suggestions of how you would prefer to be, how you would prefer to be into your unconscious mind. So planning suggestions such as that you're focused, that you're calm, that you think clearly, that you're motivated, that you take action when needed, that you follow through with tasks, that you manage your time, correctly that you're organized you know that you can put those into your unconscious mind deeply in your unconscious mind and repeat that over and over again creating new, new new beliefs a new a new internal representation a new model of the world by listening to that and listening to those suggestions while you're in that trance state it can really do powerful things to to change your belief about how you function in the everyday world and change that narrative to a more empowering narrative. And with NLP, what I like about NLP for this is that we can work on changing strategies. So if you have an unhelpful strategy such as procrastination strategy that you do before you take action, with NLP you can, we can use language tools and techniques and work with your your learning style so visual auditory kinesthetic etc learning style and and change those those strategies to support you being motivated or organized or you being focused on your work or whatever it is for you so that is really 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 powerful stuff and also understanding learning styles and supporting people with ADHD to know what their learning styles are and if there's if there's gaps in it, in areas to to kind of correct those gaps using NLP techniques, such as if they're missing if there's a spelling problem and they're not missing the visualization part of spelling, they're trying to spell kinesthetically. It's going to be really hard. But if they can get the picture of the word, or if they can sound it out in their heads. It's much easier. But some people you know, are kinesthetic learners or they need to feel things and that's fine, but they're missing making a picture of it. And that's a gap for them that's making it challenging to spell or that's making it challenging for them to store information if they don't sound it out in their head. So you can talk about teaching people how to you know, connect to that part of themselves that helps them to know to sound it out in their head or to Create a picture, or to to make a feeling. Sometimes you do need to get a feeling that you get a feeling that it's the right answer. Because sometimes we can get the picture and we can sound it out, but we don't trust in ourselves, in our feelings, that it's the right answer. Or we don't go to that place, so then we constantly bounce, bounce around in indecision because we don't trust in ourselves. We don't get that feeling, that kinesthetic response that tells us, yes, this is the right course of action. So that can be an issue as well for people. And knowing things like the, like the NLP model of communication is about knowing that the external information comes into our minds, our unconscious minds, our conscious minds through our five senses and or well, six senses if you think about their auric fields and those kinds of things. That that's your vibe, your jam. And then we filter information in certain ways. And so knowing that Model we delete, distort, and generalize information, and then file them into files of language, decisions, meta programs, values, beliefs, attitudes, time and space, energy, matter, that memories as well, memories as well, and that those files, the information that we store in those files that have made it through the delete, distort, and generalization filters, they become our beliefs. You know, all of those become our beliefs of. of what reality is what our life is who we are in the world and that creates our our state our physiol and our physiology and that then perpetuates behaviors you know behaviors of those beliefs create behaviors and so with NLP and hypnosis we can we can change those beliefs by because if they if they're negative if they're that you're stupid that you're dumb that you're not unworthy that all those things they're gonna keep you feeling anxious and hopeless, and in that state of overwhelm, and you're going to procrastinate more, and all of those things, which then makes you feel dumb again. And you add more fi- files, <laughs> you add more, you add more memories of times when you failed to that, to those filters in, in that little filing cabinet in our in our unconscious mind. All those feelings of the times that you failed, all of those things go in. And it just makes this giant, as I always talk about in, the, my, well, in my live streams mostly and with clients, it's this big giant monster within us of all of the failures, all of the hurt, sadness, disappointment, all of the things are kind of shoved down deep within us that we haven't processed. And NLP helps us to, and hypnosis helps us to pull those that mess of monster out and find the gifts in it and let go of the heaviness and move forward without carrying old shit that's no longer serving us. So we can make more positive changes in the future moving forward. So knowing how the unconscious mind works can really help us understand ourselves better and understand what's going on for us more. So understanding what the unconscious mind is doing and then how it impacts the conscious mind as well. It's, it's really, really, really helpful for people with ADHD and anyone generally. It works for, it's, it's great for everyone to understand what's going on within them in their unconscious mind and how it's running and how it runs our body and our emotions and our behaviors. One of the great things that I learned last year, which I think is really, really useful, is about ways of harnessing focus for people. And one of the techniques that's just simple that I'll just tell you here that if you're stuck with focus, If you're a parent of a child with ADHD or just a distracted child, you put like a star, it doesn't have to be anything, you could print out a black circle, put it up on the wall. So the child, it's just, you don't have to tilt your head, but you're tilting your eyes up. So if you put it up on the wall opposite where the child's learning or your own yourself is learning, or just pick a a spot above eye level that you can focus on for kids, having a visual thing to look at can be helpful for adults as well but if you look up at it, because what happens is we're in screens all the time. So our eyes are very close and very narrow and in-focused, but we want out for learning and for focus and clarity. We want our peripheral vision to be activated. So we're not in this foveal view when we're just in this tunnel kind of vision where it's difficult to, to concentrate and focus and take in information. We want our view to, vision to be in kind of peripheral vision. So if you're looking up with your eyes And you start breathing all the way into your body, down into your belly, looking up and staring at that spot. And as you're staring at the spot, just begin to notice the things while you're maintaining your focus on that spot, begin to notice the things around it to either side, to the left and to the right. And see how far you can stretch your vision, how far it can reach to the left and to the right of the spot. And as you're doing it, try to imagine that your vision goes 360 around you and try to see if you can see in your mind's eye what's happening all the way around the room, even behind you while you're staring at that spot until you feel like you can really see the whole room around you. And once you really feel like you can see the whole room 360, just lower your vision, lower your eyes so that you're looking straight ahead and just notice how you feel. And that's a really good thing to do before, you know, doing a task at work that's challenging or mundane or you find overwhelming or it's really useful to do, even if you're wanting to talk to someone and have a good conversation about something that's challenging or if you're wanting to be a better listener, it's a really good thing to kind of tune in everything around the room and open your eyes to that peripheral vision. You'll be surprised. Just give yourself a try of it. I think it's a really useful technique. But learning that was a real game changer for me as far as a tool to manage my ADHD. There's also things like NLP is great for learning about anchoring. So, you know, you know about Pavlov's dogs and the steak. So NLP is very, we love an anchor in NLP. So creating anchors, positive anchors for motivation, for focus, for clarity, for calm, for those types of things is really, really useful. And that's been a great thing if you know someone with ADHD like and you and you know, how to install an anchor in a person, like a physical anchor or a kinesthetic anchor or a visual anchor or an auditory anchor. They're all really, really helpful depending on depending on the person's learning style, what they prefer. But anchoring is really great for helping people to focus, especially young kids. There are some great tools for learning and I wish that I had them when I was a child growing up. And now it's my job to install them into my child and, to support my kids using this th- these tools that I now have in my toolkit to help support him and to help support myself. But there are many pieces to the puzzle because there's there can be vision problems, there can be auditory processing problems, there can be you know, self-esteem problems, anxiety problems. And that can be overwhelming if you're a parent of a child or if you're newly diagnosed, looking at the executive function issues This has been a bit of a ADHD ramble, but I guess what I want you to come away from for this is, well, understanding me a little bit more. (laughs) No, is understanding a little bit of what it, it is like for an adult when they're diagnosed with ADHD to see it as a cluster of problems with solutions. Now, the solutions might not be perfect solutions and you might be tweaking them for your whole life. But there are ways to navigate it and techniques and tools, some better than others. The medication for me has been up and down. It has many deficits and I've had many months at a time where I haven't wanted to take it. And then times when I feel like I should try it again or try a different kind and just, just figure it out. Overall, I don't want to take it. But there's also things such as neurofeedback, biofeedback, where they you sit with a person and they they put electrodes on your head and they can they give you puzzles in a computer that you have to solve that apparently the feedback in the brain at the beginning of your brain f- feedback your frequency whatever it is it's all scattered in a person with ADHD but by the end of this process which is several several sessions with the computer and with the going through that neurofeedback technique that they find that the readings come out more cohesive and clear and that the people at the end have really profound results where they their focus is naturally improving as they retrain and rewire their neurology, which is very, very, very promising, which I'm I'm very excited about. Trying also cognitive behavioral therapy, psychotherapy, there are so many different parenting programs, for people with ADHD support services. There's so many great books, so many great so many great social media pages and groups to follow that are just make it feel I like the ADHD gift I really love that there are so many funny memes (laughs) which I really love there is so many so much so much support like adults with ADHD online it's such an it's like the best honestly the best place to go, even if you don't have ADHD, because people are so supportive and kind of ev- kind with everyone who's struggling and having a hard time and so empathetic and understanding. I just love it. And But there are so many fantastic books and the books that I'm just going to list some books here for you if you want to learn more. As I said, I absolutely loved Scattered Minds. I'm really loving this book by Marianne Ritchie and James Forgan called Raising Boys with ADHD. It's got great, useful tools and steps and techniques. I'm reading, but haven't read. So I just, I cannot tell you if they're good or bad. I'm reading What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew. I haven't cited that yet. Um, There's also one called The Everything Parent's Guide to Executive Functioning Disorder. Another book called Living with ADHD by Tom Hartman. Mindful Parenting for ADHD by Dr. Mark Burton and Ari Tuckman. They're the ones that I've really liked but I also found this one which I think is fascinating it's called ADHD a hunter in a farmer's world it's by Tom Hartman and Michael Popkin and I haven't read it but I read the blurb and it sounds fascinating because they're saying that like ADHD it's not an accident it's not a malfunction like their belief is that like these are these are hunters that didn't like in the hunter-gatherer society, the hunter-farmer society, hunters' brains would work a certain way to block out everything while they tracked their kill, for want of a better word. You know, they would be focused on a certain thing. They would be risk takers and they would be able to exclude everything else that would distract them from focusing on their their hunt. But also... They'd be, you know, people with ADHD, we have insomnia, so we'd be the people that would be looking over the flock at night, looking after the people at night, on watch unwatch and on lookout. We're, we're the people that invent things. We have highly imaginative, inventive minds. We have so many positive aspects that don't fit into this model of education that we're in, that don't fit into this model of nine-to-five corporate world that exists in our culture. We don't. Fit in, but not because we're broken. You know, because we ha- these things are skills that just don't quite fit into how we structure our society today. But seeing them as that, I know that that might not. Resonate with some of you, but for me, that helped me to go. Even though I'm a vegan, so I don't believe in hunting, <laughs> but but I know that there are people who had to be tunnel visioned and focus intently and block out everything and block out all time. And so then we think we can squeeze all these things in, and that's been something that was a massive factor in me getting diagnosed. Was that it was annoying for my husband, and I felt really guilty that I wasn't paying attention, that I would be in time and I would be missing things that were important. And I would be getting muddled in my calendar and things would be going like that. And I just felt so sad and hopeless thinking like he's this person who so, listens so well and is so conscientious and does so many good things for me. And I'm stuffing up in all these areas where I feel like it's not fair that I'm not meeting him and being as respectful as what he seems to be of his time. So understanding it for us both has made it so he's aware and he can help me and help say, look, is this enough time? Do you have enough time? Is this, are you aware that you have to do this, this, and this? And, and supporting me, and that's been really great for us in our marriage, for him to be able to know that there's a challenge and to, and to support me in managing that challenge. I'm multi-passionate, and that's a definite great part of being ADHD. And I'm excited because we're going to have a guest, Amanda Freeman, on the show soon to talk about. She's a business coach. And a Reiki master herself, and we're going to be talking about being multi-passionate, because it can be a challenge if you are multi-passionate, and but it's also wonderful to be multi-passionate. I love being multi-passionate. There are gifts. This is this is there's are many 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 gifts, and if you're looking at me listening to this saying like it's just a nightmare. Parenting a kid with ADHD is a nightmare. I take my hat off to you. I'm, I'm in that myself. And it's a challenge. It's super challenging. They're beautiful, brilliant, creative, smart, amazing, sensitive, beautiful souls. But it's a challenge. It's so overwhelming at times with the constant repeating of information and all of the things and getting them to do any small task is like pulling teeth. But there are so many gifts, and for ourselves as well. There are so many gifts if we can get the right support, even if it's just books or podcasts or Facebook pages at the start. If, like, financially, that's all you can afford, getting the right team around you of professionals, whether it's you know a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist or doing neurofeedback or getting an ADHD coach or going to an ADHD parenting support group. There are so many great resources and tools out there. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm navigating this journey myself, so I am here for you and with you as an ally, and I I hope that this was helpful. I really tried to make it helpful. I hope it just gave you some pieces and nuggets of information and some tools that might benefit you. There are a lot of great strategies out there, like NLP, hypnosis are obviously mine, so I'm spooking myself and that might seem like shameless self-promotion, but it's 2021. Everything's everything's allowed and I love it. I love it and I do think it's useful and I wouldn't say it if I just thought it was like a multi-level marketing sales pitch to get you to buy my face cream. These these tools really work they're working for me they're really helping me they're really helping me to focus and they're have worked for many many people like a lot of people with adhd get an nlp coach get a mindset coach get people to support them with hypnosis and hypnotherapy because they're useful but also i'm not a neurofeedback practitioner neurofeedback has got great results for people it's also gut stuff. Gut health stuff is so important, and we know that from this podcast that you know managing your diet, seeing a gut specialist can be really helpful. Like Natalie Woodman, Robin Shooter, there are so many people out there, doctors that can support you with adopting a more plant-based diet that's low in those and low in processed foods or avoid processed foods altogether. Some people avoid salicylates, but as a whole food plant-based vegan, I don't know how you do that, so I haven't done it. Um, But elimination diets can teach you, you know, about what foods are stimulating to you and what aren't if you want to try one of those out. My top three tips for ADHD are get some community around you. Educate yourself. They're the same as whole food plant-based techniques. Educate yourself. Read all the books. Listen to the podcasts. Read the Attitude, ADD, Etude magazine. They have articles that are brilliant. They have, you know, a Facebook page. Their fantastic attitude magazine. Fill your eyeballs though with positive messages, not hopeless messages. Fill your. Don't take the label as that you are broken. Take the label as you have so many gifts and strengths and incredible ways that your brain works. But there are these parts that just don't fit into this reality that we're in, that are challenging, and we need to find ways to navigate this world that we're in. And we can, and we will. It just may be a little bit tricky, but I will take all of the hard things with ADHD. Because people with ADHD often are really passionate. They're really driven. They're really empathetic. There's so many gifts in it. And I love them. I love those parts of myself. I love that I am excitable. I love that I love people and talking to people and just hearing their stories and wanting to learn everything about them. I love that I overshare and share way too much. I used to hate it, but I, I love that I want people to feel like all their yucky, ugly, gross, dirty things that they're ashamed of are normal. And he, I'll tell them all of mine straight away. <laughs> Here's all of my ugly things so that they feel less alone. I love that about myself. I love that I want people to feel excited and motivated and happy. And this podcast wouldn't exist without my ADHD because I hyper-focused and said, you know what I want to do? I want to share these hope stories with everyone in the whole wide world and all I can think about is doing that. And it's here and it wouldn't be here if I wasn't blindly focused on sharing these stories, excluding everything else that makes common sense. You know, I should be monetizing it and doing all these things to make it make sense and have more reach and all these things, but I just am focused on getting these stories out to you. I love that it exists. I love that even though it's been three years of flying by the seat of my pants, that my ADHD brought this podcast into reality. I love that. I love that it led me down all these tangents that make that I can do really powerful work with clients because I studied my ass off. You know, I studied social work and education and I studied learning and I studied brains and spirituality and I studied Reiki and energy healing and I studied hypnotherapy and hypnosis and I really have learned so many different techniques. Timeline therapy and all these different things that mean that now and plant, plant-based nutrition and all these things, health coaching. <laughs> I've studied so many things and it made me feel crazy before that I just couldn't pin me down to any one thing for longer than a minute. But now when I'm working with my clients I see that my ADHD, excluding everything else for a time, meant that now I have all these tools. And when women come to me, I don't have to give them a one-size-fits-all approach. They're not a cookie-cutter model. I literally get to sit with them and go, I can see that you're stressed today in this session. I think you just need some Reiki today. And they're like, oh, feel. And that is what they need. Or I can say, let's, let's do a hypnosis today because I can see that this is, a, this is an issue. And I'm going to do Reiki while you're in hypnosis to help make the shift on a soul level for you. Or I might use a combination of them in the session. Or I might say, you know what, you just need to tell your story. So I use narrative therapy. Or I think, you know, we need some confidence. So I use strength-based therapy. It just all goes together to make this, this thing that's now the work that I do, which is intangible, but it's I'm so grateful that all the tangents I went on with my ADHD, led me to be able to work with women in a way that I never could as a social worker. I never could as a teacher. I never could just with Reiki alone, that I now have all these tools that help to empower and transform, and that word is so cliche, but really transform from the inside out. They can come into a session one way and leave completely different and empowered and inspired in themselves that they're powerful and they can't unlearn the lessons that they learn it doesn't just wear off when you leave the session you have the massage and you're relaxed for 10 minutes and then your partner calls and it's all gone again tells you the kids are playing up it's all gone again like this lasts it lasts and I just I'm so grateful for where I am, even though there was challenges along the way. So many challenges to get to here. And there will be more. And that's just part of life. Life is just everything. Life is everything good, bad, ugly, beautiful, wondrous, nightmarish. It's all of it. Suffering, loss of control, control, all those pieces all together. And with ADHD, it's just acknowledging that this is a new puzzle. It's a new puzzle. Try and get excited by the puzzle. Love yourself with the puzzle, knowing that the puzzle makes you incredible. Let's just find support to solve the parts that make you feel shitty. There is support out there. There are people out there, even if it's just people to text and reach out to. Reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. This was a long episode because I'm a ADHD rambler. But I love you all. That's my story. I hope this episode was useful to some of you or many of you, hopefully. Please share it with your family and friends. This is a real condition. It's not a make-believe one. It's genetically proven, scientifically proven. Read the books, educate yourself and be an ally for people who are neurodivergent, who are non-neurotypical, who are we're the witches of the world. <laughs> Everyone else is muggles, is what I tell my kids. <laughs> no offense if you're a muggle out there. My husband's a muggle too. Um, you know, let's just make it an empowering story where we're the, where the witches <laughs> and our brains work a different way or well, we make our magic in a different way. And that's okay. And we're beautiful in our own way. So find people who are allies, find people who lift you up and help you find solutions. Be kind to yourself, love yourself, and reach out to me if ever you want to talk or chat or message or whatever. I love hearing from you all. Thank you very much for listening. I love you all. I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. Riding with you in the sunnier day. I wouldn't want it any other